Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, January 31st, 2016. The share ID for Friday, January 29th, is 8420. That's 8420. This morning, A Vision for You presents We Had to Get Down to Causes and Conditions. In step one, we conceded powerlessness the realization that we are doomed. Lack of power is our dilemma. In step two, we learn that our higher power, which is deep down within us, was blocked off from us because of the calamities, pomp, and worship of other things. In step three, we made a decision to place our will and our lives into the care of our higher power. When we get rid of the things that block us, we will find that our higher power enters our lives. The task is to get rid of those blocks. Here to speak this morning on Step 4 is Joe M., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Joe is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, intensively working with other compulsive overeaters, and carrying the message of recovery. And welcome to the line, Joe. Thank you, Leanne. Good morning, and good morning, everyone. Uh, can you hear me okay? Sounds great. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Hi, my name is Joe. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it's really great um, to be here with everybody this morning um, to speak on causes of causes and conditions, which is what the big book uh, refers to refers to this as, uh, the beginning of the inventory process. And I am going to speak on step four. Um, but first, I just want to give a little qualification of, um, of why I'm here in the first place. Um, I'm a very low-bottom, critical-level compulsive overeater. I come from a very painful history of compulsive overeating. My high weight was 254 pounds, and I'm only 5'4 and a half, and I have a small frame. So for me, 254 pounds was morbid obesity, and I was eating with a, a fierceness, a desperation, uh, toward the end of my eating that I hadn't known before. Overeating had uh, encroached on every area of my life, and it, it had diminished my life. I was living a, I was living like a half-life because of compulsive overeating. Um, I didn't want to wake up in the morning because mornings were my least favorite time of the day because I was hungover from the binging from the night before. Um, I moved very slowly because of my, my obesity. Um, I, I have stretch marks all over my body because of the, um, my obesity condition created that. Um, I had just this, this uh, I had an ongoing malaise um, because you can't live in that, that kind of life without uh, being mentally uh, really diminished. And that's how was, my mental health really suffered uh, inside of uh, active addiction. I had severe depression uh, in an ongoing way. Um, and that, that at the low end of my overeating, it capped off decades of overeating, and my overeating started when I was a young child, and it did nothing but get worse uh, over time. And so I had tried a number of methods to try to get a hold of this, you know, and therapy and books and, you know, um, weight loss, uh, paid weight loss programs, I tried doing it on my own, you know, controlled eating, um, and none of those attempts were effective. They either, you know, allowed me short-term weight loss and then I went back into the food or they just were, you know, they were complete failures. Um, so um, I don't want to spend too much time um, on where I came from, but just uh, just to communicate to you that I, I do belong here um, and I, I have paid the price of admission in spades. 
and I would never have come, never, ever would I have come to a place like Overeaters Anonymous if I didn't think I was out of options. So it's the last house on the block. Um, the program of recovery was the last thing I tried and the first thing that worked. Um, so if you're in that place, um, hopefully um, this morning's discussion will be helpful for you. So I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and I started hearing about these steps, and I started watching other people who had recovered, and I wanted what they had. And um, my my journey in OA, I was in OA for, you know, a few years before I really grabbed onto the actual program of recovery. Um, and I was I was in and out uh, of abstinence and I had not I had not yet discovered the nature of my problem. I knew that I had a problem with overeating, but I didn't know what the nature of that problem was. I had not yet accepted that I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. Um, but I came to, out of sheer desperation, I came to listen to other recovered people um, about the twofold nature of this condition, and I started becoming willing to follow what they did. And I met someone in the program who was recovered and wanted what I had, and um, I had a new abstinence at that point and asked him to be my sponsor, and he started showing me the inventory process in the big book. And uh, my life has not been the same since. Um, so um, I, I just and and I I don't want to take too much time going into a you know an official like step one, step two, and step three. Suffice to say, I did admit my powerlessness over this condition, and I did through through coming to the meetings and listening to others and watching others, I did uh, come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity because I knew that I wasn't going to restore it. Eventually, I just lost faith in my own ability to restore myself to sanity. So I had just enough, you know, it kind of, and I, I guess my steps one, two, and three, I mean, they really came in pieces. Um, it wasn't a wholesale, wow, now I've done step two. But I did come to have hope inside myself through listening to, to other recovered people. And, and then from that, um, I became willing to follow um, this this process. I have heard step three described as this step three says made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God as we understood Him. And I heard an a, an OA speaker say one time that he sees that decision as a decision to do steps four through nine. And I like that description of it because that for me. Um, as an atheist, I, I'm not gonna, you know, turn my will and my life over to the idea of something supernatural. So I like the idea of turning myself over to a set of actions. Um, I, I experience the program as very action oriented, and so I, I like that. So if there's anyone on the line for whom that resonates, um, that's great. So, um, so I want to start on page 63. There are a couple of paragraphs that make reference to uh, step three. Um, it's, uh, so I just want to read the very last paragraph of step three before going into step four. Um, well, let me just read the last couple of paragraphs of step three here. We were now at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. 
We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves to him. We found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person, such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor. But it is better to meet God alone than one than with one who might misunderstand. The wording was, of course, quite optional, so long as we expressed the idea, voicing it without reservation. This is only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made, an effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. So I think they're saying here, it's for me, the way I see these paragraphs is, okay, I'm getting ready to do the work of the inventory. I'm, I'm kind of priming the pump, as it were, to, to get ready to move forward. And it says here, this was only a beginning. So if, if you're struggling with step three, don't worry. Don't burden yourself. Step three is only a beginning. Um, so the, the section on step four then starts, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, meaning our decision in step three, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. Um, and I just love that paragraph because it says, you know, here again it's reiterating, the decision that we make in step three is a decision, in my view, to move forward in the program. The decision in step three is not an end in of itself because there wouldn't be several other steps coming after it, if it were. We would just end there at step three. So the decision in step three to me is, okay, I'm going to move forward. Um, not that I'm going to do it myself, but I am willing to subject myself to the process that comes next. So we had to get down to causes and conditions. Causes and conditions of what? Well, I've already resolved my allergy of the body, okay, because that's what in, in the earlier chapters, I can't pick up any of my foods. So I've got, the food is down. So my allergy of the body is not being triggered. They're not talking about the causes and conditions of my allergy of the body. They're talking about the causes and conditions of my mental obsession that drive me back to the food. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. Now, <clears throat> Excuse me, I hear some people say, well, you know, not everything about me is bad, and, you know, I need to take an inventory of my assets as well. That is not what the big book says. Um, because we don't eat over our assets. We eat over the damaged and unsaleable goods. So that's what we need to inventory. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. I think that is, I almost want to laugh when I read that sentence because it's just, I love the writers of the big book. I, actually, I just love them for their, for their straight talk. We searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. You know, it doesn't say, we searched for the flaws in other people which caused our failure. It's the flaws in my makeup that's causing my failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. We considered its common manifestations. Self, that self, convinced that self manifested in various ways. 
the way I see myself is that a long time ago, I got split off from myself. There was a, there was, my inside were torn asunder and they were torn in two. And that split was so painful that I had to medicate it. And I medicated with food. I medicated with other things too. And I medicated with food. And I had this split inside of me. And this, there was a split. So on one side was the best self, the better me, the higher me. And on the other side was the isolated ego self. And it's that isolated ego self that acts out and causes all kinds of problems for me and others. And for me, that's what I take. That's, it's that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. So there has to be a sewing back up inside. I can't sew myself back up inside. How am I going to get sewn back up inside? It starts with step four. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relations, including our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? We were usually as definite as this example. Now, on page 65, there are three columns. I'm resentful at is one column. The cause, the second column, affects my, the third column. So the writers give an example. I'm resentful at Mr. Brown. Because that's just the name, the name of whoever it is. It's the name, it's the, inst- it's the person, it's the institution, it's the principal. The cause. So the, the cause is what they did or how I'm thinking about it. The cause. His attention to my wife, told my wife of my mistress, Brown might get my job at the office. This affects my sex relations, self-esteem, fear, and security. Um, so those, those are the three cons. So I want to give you an example from my fourth step. I'm resentful at big movie companies because they're greedy, they monopolize the market. This affects my ambition and my fear. So that's the first three columns of that one. Um, and so, uh, well, let me, well, okay, let me just point something out here. Um, under the, the example of Mr. Brown, it says Brown, one of the examples they give is Brown may get my job at the office. May. So it's not, the cause doesn't have to be something that actually has happened. It's just how I'm thinking about it. It can be speculation. It can be guessing. It can be a judgment. Um, If you go down to Mrs. Jones, where he says the the cause, she's a nut. She's a nut is not a factual statement. That's a judgment. And that's exactly where that belongs, um, is in the cause column. So it's, I'm just going to vomit up everything I'm thinking about that person, principal, or institution. I don't have to worry that it has something actually happened or, you know, is it factual? It doesn't have to be. It's just dumping. It's dumping my thinking out onto the page in, uh, in that column, the cause. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. You know, it doesn't say nothing counted but logic and reasonableness. This is not about logic. 
This is about, this is how I'm thinking. This is all, these first three columns, it's all, it's all about me being the injured party. And I must say, when I did this for the first time, it was rather fun. Because now I had this formal method of getting on paper what other people had done to me and how it affected me. Oh, I was drooling at the mouth. So if you're seeing this, if you're listening to this and you're saying, oh, gee, that could be kind of fun, you're really in the right rooms. Yes, we get to, we get to formalize being the injured party in the first part of step four. So nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. And oh my gosh, that was so true for me. Being the aggrieved party was as far as I had ever gotten up into the fourth step. I, I mean, I didn't have any other tools in my toolbox other than to be the aggrieved party. And so I was the aggrieved party thousands and thousands of times. Um, and that is as far as I ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. Well, that was true for me because as I thought about it, you know, and as I think about it, these these moments of triumph, like feeling like the aggrieved party or feeling like I had triumphed, was actually really painful. Um, and so I needed to med- medicate that. So I ate. So obviously that wasn't working. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. I think that paragraph is one of the most important paragraphs in the entire big book. And I think and I think that because it gets to the heart of why resentment is the number one offender. It is because it cuts me off from the sunlight of the spirit and I can't stand being cut off. Because when I'm because I'm an addict, when I'm cut off from the sunlight of the spirit, I go back to overeating. And for me to overeat is to die. Maybe not physically, but dying in inside, dying in my soul, dying in my mind. It's not a life that's worth living for me. So resentment is the number one offender. And I have, and I, this happened for me, and maybe it's happened for you, and I've seen it happen for others, where we come into the rooms of recovery, and we get some relief, but then we go back into the food. Or we come into the recovery, and we actually get recovered. But then we go back into the food. There's something that happens and we go back into the food, what happens? It is because we have an untended or a series of untended resentments, either old resentments that we never dealt with or new resentments that we're not dealing with. And I have seen this over and over and over and over and over again. And it is true for me too. The untended resentments will kill us. So I think this this paragraph is just absolutely, it is, for me, it is one of the most important paragraphs of the big book. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison.
So that's, that's you know, the first part of the resentment process and commentary about it. We turned back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. And I think that's a crucial sentence as well. Because how many times have I heard, well, I just have to let it go. How many times have you, have you ever said that to yourself? Or has anybody ever said that to you? Oh, you just got to let it go. You know what? I'm an addict. I don't let things go. That's why I'm in these rooms. I can't let it go. It's impossible for me to let it go. I have to have it taken from me. And the only way that I can have it taken from me is to go through the inventory process. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Now, these two paragraphs are the starting point of moving away from being the aggrieved victim. And this, these two paragraphs, this, this aspect of step four was uh, it, it was a big shift for me. Um, after I had written out my all my resentments, um, I remember taking a Sunday afternoon and saying this prayer for each and every person and institution on my sheet. It took me three hours. But I felt differently at the end of that than I did at the beginning. Because what was happening for me was now I was starting to move away from what they did. I hadn't yet gotten to what my part in things, but I was starting to experience inside myself this dividing line between them and and me. It was like we were we were becoming disentangled. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. So... Okay, so big movie companies. Okay, so I, I, you know, and I said, you know, the resentment prayer. Um, you know, um, uh, this is, you know, this, this the movie movie companies are spiritually sick. Now, I don't know if they're spiritually sick, but that's I said the prayer as a way to practice. You know, okay, this is a process. I'm giving away the process. That's what I'm going to say. Movie companies are spiritually sick. Please help me show the movie companies the same tolerance, pity, and patience I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Yes, and if you're laughing right now, that's great. I mean, it might sound really funny, and that's okay. You know, we are not a glum lot. But I did that. Um, okay, so then 
uh, referring to our list again, okay, putting out of my mind the wrong others had done, okay, so I'm going to put, put it out of my mind. Where had I been selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened, okay? Well, okay, selfish. I judged the movie companies as being bad and wrong. I snuck into the movies for free over and over and over again. So I stole from them. That's selfish. Dishonest. I assumed stealing from them was okay because they're so big they won't notice. Like, it doesn't matter. That's dishonest. Self-seeking. I want to feel satisfied that I can take on a big company. So self-seeking, like, okay, like, what's the definition of self? This is the way I've used it, and I have found this to be effective. Self-seeking. It's wanting someone to do something or not do something, to say or not say something, so that I can feel a certain way or so that I don't have to feel a certain way. It's really asking them to take care of my feelings. So um, I want to feel satisfied that I can take on um, a big company. Um, the other, the other uh, self-seeking, I didn't write this down, but another uh, self-seeking is I don't want big movie companies to exist so I don't have to be afraid that they're going to take over our economy. So I don't want them doing something so that I can feel a certain way. That's self-seeking. Um, and fear that I'm powerless over a big company. Now, another fear could be I'm powerless over doing anything about the things that bother me in our economy. That's another, you know, so that's another fear. So I'm stating my stuff here. Selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened. It's my stuff. I'm not in any way restating um, anything about you know, what, any of my problems with the movie company. It's, it's me. It's how I'm seeing things. Um, so I had another, you know, here's another example from my first inventory. Um, I resent, you know, for, and I listed them all individually, but just for today I'll combine them. My employers. Uh, what is the cause? They exploited me. They dominated me. They underpaid me. Okay, this affects my security and my fear. And I did say the resentment prayer for each and every one of those employers. And I listed people who who I worked for also. Um, and I said the resentment prayer for for each of those. Um, so selfish. I stole from the employers. And this from you know from the time I was a teenager. I mean, I was stealing from the fast food restaurant that I worked at. I stole from the convenience store um, that I worked at. And stole from some other one. I got into my profession. Um, stole some things there as well. Um, I stole. Um, uh, dishonest. Um, I, again, I felt entitled um, to. I felt entitled to stealing, but also dishonest in that I didn't take stock in my employment situation enough to say, I need a raise and I'm going to ask for a raise, or I don't like the way someone talked to me and therefore I'm going to, I'm going to speak up, or I'm going to get another job. Like, I didn't take responsibility for my own job situation. Like, so that's dishonest. Um, self-seeking, I want to feel valued. And I want, you know, I want, you know, people in institutions to treat me well so that I can feel valued. And afraid, I'm afraid that I'm not valued. Um, so, um, and I can give you a bunch more examples from my first four step. Um, 
And and I've since done a number of four steps. I've done many four steps, but my first one was really like that was just groundbreaking for me because I had never done um, this process before. So it's been it's been it's been critical for me when I'm doing the selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and fearful to really keep the person or institution I resent out of it. And sometimes I have to think about that. It doesn't always necessarily come automatically or easily for me to do that. Um, but it's necessary for me to keep, keep them out of, this, uh, out of this last column. Okay, so continuing on. This is at the bottom of page 67. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Perhaps there is a better way. We think so, for we are now on for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. So going back a little bit, so what is this going to look like when I'm putting it on paper? What is my fear? Okay. Um, we put them on paper. So there's an instruction. We put them on paper. Um, we asked ourselves why we had them. So here's what I did. I put my fear on paper. So um, one of my fears as I look at, the, okay, the employers, what is, my, what is a fear that I'll never get a decent paying job? So that's a fear. Well, why do I have the fear? And here's how I do it. If if my actual if my if my fear comes true, then what's going to happen inside of me? What is my belief around that? So, what if I never get a decent paying job? What happens inside of me? Well, that it means I'm not valuable in society, and if I'm not valued in society, I'm not valuable. Period. So it's really about how uh, my fear is really about how I'm seeing myself. It's about how I am. I am seeing my own value, how I am valuing or not valuing myself. And I found this to be really effective to do it this way because I really see how my fear often is about physical things happening or not happening, but really it's really about what's underneath that because this program is about my spiritual condition. It's not about twisting external events into the way I want them to be. 
It's about looking at what is going on inside of Joe. So I find that doing the, the columns this way to be really super effective and helpful. Um, so then, uh, so, so we asked ourselves why we had them. Well, that's why I have that fear. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? So where was my, uh, you know, so it says self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Self-reliance doesn't go far enough with my fears because self-reliance does not remove my fear. So there's, you know, so there's this question, where was my trust and reliance? Was it on my finite self or was it on an infinite God? Um, because it says we trust infinite God rather than our finite self. Where was my trust and reliance? It was on my finite self. Um, and how do I know that? How do I know that my trust was on my finite self? Because I have the fear in the first place. I mean, this, the fear is gripping me. It's not like it's temporary and it goes away. It's like it's in there. Like it's part of my operating system. And if a fear is part of my operating system, certainly my trust was not on an infinite God. It was not on an infinite power greater than myself. Um, so that's how, that's how I know that. Um, so then it says, uh, we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he, he would have to be. God, so that's the fear prayer. God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. That's the fear prayer. Now, and I want to say a couple of things about resentment prayer and fear prayer. The resentment prayer and fear prayer are embedded inside the inventory process. They are not to be used in isolation as if they themselves are going to work. Because I have to tell you, if they by themselves worked, I would not be in this program. I would not need to be in Overeaters Anonymous. Because all I would need to do is remember, hey, I got a resentment. I'm going to say the resentment prayer. Hey, I got a fear. I'm going to say the fear prayer. That doesn't work for an addict like me. That for me, that's trying to wish it away. That's using something in the big book as a tool to try to wish it away. And as I have demonstrated to myself many, many thousands of times, I'm, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. So that's, so I, and I had a big stat, I had a ton of fears in my first four step. And I've had, and I've done these, you know, I've done a fear inventory many, many times since then. Um, but fortunately, because I do them more frequently, it's not this huge stack um, anymore. Okay, so it says at once we commence to outgrow fear. We don't outgrow fear, you know, right away. And I, I don't think we ever, for me as an addict, I'm never going to outgrow fear. I mean, I'm going to become someone who becomes less fearful. Fear is not going to be so easily part of my operating system, but I'm never going to be, like, cured of it. Okay, so that's resentments and fears. Okay, so that's the first two sections of the inventory process. Now here's the third section, um, the sex inventories. Now about sex. Many of us needed an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. 
Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do, don't, we do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? I think, I think this is so beautiful because what the writers of the big book are saying is that they're, they're not, the process is not about passing judgment on ourselves for having these problems. And same with resentments and fears. We're not... The inventory process is not about passing judgment on ourselves. It is about saying, what's inside me? And I'm going to get it out on paper. That's what it's about. And I love that they took pains to make this really clear, especially in the sex inventory, because there is a lot of, even in 2016, I mean, there are, there are a variety of opinions and perspectives in the world about sexual relations. And we don't have to, in, in the process of our inventory, we don't have to get involved in, in those kinds of debates. We may be involved in those debates in, other, in, in the world outside of the rooms of OA, but inside the rooms, inside of this inventory, we don't have to be in that debate. We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? I mean, isn't that super clear? Is it selfish or not? Like, that's a yes or no question. We asked God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them, to help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. So in other words, we treat it like we treated resentments and fears. We inventory it. We see where had we been, where were we acting out of self, and then we become willing to make right the wrong. We're not making amends in the fourth step. We're just becoming you know, more conscious of our behavior and getting ready to eventually um, make amends. Uh, whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends. Uh, oh, sorry, I already read that. Okay. Uh, God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with other persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. And I just want to say when I did my sex conduct inventory, um, you know, I included um, sexual relations relationships in there. Um, but I also included other things. It was really interesting because I, some stuff came out in my sex inventory that had not come out um, in either my resentments or fears. So I really challenged myself to, be, to really think broadly um, in this area. So I thought, well, what are my attitudes around um, either behaviors or groups of people that has to do with a sexual nature, sexual identity, gender identity, 
that kind of thing. So I actually, what came out on the page was things like, I actually um, felt judgmental toward all the sexual groups, including the one that I'm in. So I'm a lesbian, but I felt judgmental toward lesbians. I put that, I put that down in my sex conduct inventory. Um, I, I, I feel judgmental toward, um, toward straight women, gay men, straight men, teenage boys, um, I, so I had that, I had to, I had to like look through, what is going on with that? Um, I got down, um, I had judged the partners of all of my siblings, like their choice of a partner in life. I judged them. I judged them for the partners that they, that they chose. Like I got that down on my sex conduct inventory. Um, and so it, it allowed me to be more conscious of what was going on inside of me around all these areas. Um, so it doesn't say, no, it doesn't say to do that in the big book. I just found that, that that was helpful because I found that, you know, like they say, nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. For me, that was a way of being thorough. Suppose we sh- fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and our motives. I mean, it, doesn't that just strike at the heart of it? What is my motive? Uh, if we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. And I think that applies to any issue, even though they're, they're embedding it here in the sex conduct. But what is my motive you know, am I sorry and am I willing to grow toward a vision for a power greater, you know, in line with a power greater than myself? Or am I not sorry? Am I just going to keep, you know, keep the same behavior going? To sum up about sex, excuse me, to sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. This takes us out of ourselves. Isn't that a beautiful commentary on why we do service generally? I mean, not only not only if sex is troublesome, we help others, but I just think that's a wonderful statement. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies. For we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. You know, they say that there are promises in each section or for each step or each phase, you know, of recovery. And if you look at this paragraph, you know, there's some criteria here. Because what do they say earlier on? Nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. So if we have been thorough about our personal inventory, number one, we've written down a lot. So when I did my first four-step, I wrote that I had written a lot, pages and pages and pages. I mean, I was 30... I was 38, almost 39, when I did my first four steps. That's 30, I mean, okay, so let's just say since I was, I, mean, I had resentments going back to like when I was four. So that's 35 years of resentments. So that's a big stack. 
Um, so we've written down a lot. That's a criteria. You've written down a lot. So if you've done a four-step and you didn't write down very much, you haven't been thorough. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. That's another criteria. I've listed and analyzed my resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. Begun. This is just the beginning. We've, gone, we've begun to under, so comprehend means to understand. Futility means it's useless. It, ha, it has, it has, it's no use. That's one because it's not, the resentments are not useful. They don't help me live my life in any effective way. They don't help the other person. So they're, they fail. But also their fatality. Because they get me to go into the food over and over again. And when you're writing, I mean, here they use the word fatality. They're talking about drinking, and that really does kill, physically kill. I mean, alcoholics die. They physically die of alcoholism. Fatality. For me, I still, I still use the word fatality because for me, going back into the bondage of self and then going back into the food, that, I mean, that is... It's fatal. It's fatal to my recovery. I'll put it that way. And I don't know if I have another recovery in me. It might kill my chances for any future recovery. And I'm not willing to live that way. That, that scares the hell out of me, to be honest. I have a healthy respect and fear of that. So that's fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. Actually, I see those two sentences as being, it's, it's the same idea as one, as one thing. Um, so comprehending their futility and fatality and seeing their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. And that's that resentment prayer. That's what that's, that starts to do. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. So this is, this is the criteria. If you want to know if you've done a thorough four-step, look at this paragraph. It's on, uh, on page 70. In, in this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision, meaning decision in step three, and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, that's the step four inventory. You have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big truths, of, some big chunks of truth about yourself. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some, some big chunks of truth about yourself. And you notice that they use the word begin, commence, begun, that this is a beginning. If you have seen the fourth step as being the end of a process, you are in trouble. It is not the end of a process. Um, there are, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There are eight more steps to go. Remember, there are twelve steps. Step four, but step four, without a thorough step four, we have. This is my view. We have zero chance of recovery. Zero, because the, step four is the place at which we are going to start experiencing the beginning of the personality change. It's the tip of the iceberg, but it is the, be- it is the beginning. And in the, pen- the, appendix, the appendix in the back, under spiritual experiences, you know, it says, um, the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery has manifested itself among us in many different ways. So they talk about it as a personality change. So what is a personality? It's a set of characteristics that describe or define the way a person thinks and behaves. So that's what, that's what the fourth step is. It's the beginning of a personality change. 
So that is, uh, that is step four. That is my take on step four. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Joe, for this thorough teaching of the instructions of step four. Thanks for bringing to life pages 63 through 71 of the big book through your own personal action and experience. Thank you so much. Joe's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. Now we're going to transition to questions. So if you have a question for Joe on step four, you can press star one to unmute and identify yourself, please. Hi, Linda R. Linda R. Who else? Karen S. Karen S. Anyone else? Okay, let's get started with Linda R. Hi, good morning. This is Linda R. Recovered in South Florida. So happy and grateful for the fellowship and recovered today. Thank God. Anyway, Joe, thank you so much. And thanks for everyone doing service on the line today. My question is, you know, when I, you know, I've, done, I've been working with a lot of people taking them through the fourth, all the steps, but the fourth step. And when we get to, you know, making the list of, you know, the principles, they get stuck on it. And I have trouble sometimes explaining the principles. Can you please elaborate on that? I'd appreciate it. Oh, sure. So, I mean, so like a principle could be... Um it could be um uh, of a value a value statement or a social more or um you know a principle could be something like um a penny saved is a penny earned so i'm just going to you know so i i'm totally making this up but let's just say somebody let's say somebody's parents told them that when they were growing up a penny saved is a penny earned and they end up feeling like oh gee i'm so deprived i can never really spend everything i have I have to save it. A penny saved is penny earned. Oh, so if you hear these kind of the, those kinds of statements, principles, um, and you have, have this like this this, and you get a knot in your stomach every time you hear it, that would be a resentment toward the principle. Thank you, Linda R, for your question. Thank you. Mhm. Karen S, your turn. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for your um, really great exposition of step four. Um, I'm curious, though, and I'm more than curious. I I need to know, you you spoke about being an atheist in the beginning, and how do you then use um, terms like sunlight of the spirit and all the God words? Um, How does that work for you? Yeah, um, well, for me, the word God is this, it's an energy. It's, it's an, it's, well, it's, it's a couple of things. It's an energy and it's a collection of qualities. That's how I experience it. So for me, when I say God, it's this, it's this, um, the collection of all the good qualities of being human, um, kindness, empathy, compassion, generosity, um, love, patience, Honesty. Um, that's what that that's what that word means for me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Karen S. Who else has a question for Joe this morning? Star one to unmute. Susan C. Susan C. Anne Marie M. 
Anne-Marie M. Anyone else? Okay, let's move along with that then. Susan C. Thanks so much, Leah, and thanks so much, Joe. The penny saved is a penny earned thing um, sparked a question in me. The whole idea of, of the false belief of scarcity consciousness, what, first, what category would you put that in to, to work it through? Um, and how would you do the fourth column around that, which can manifest, you know, with anything, I, I suppose, with a history of compulsive overeating, any of us could speak of feeling like back in the day there wasn't enough food, but that can go to money, love, anything else. Thanks, Pat. Well, it's a resentment. I mean, if somebody has a resentment toward that, you know, scarcity consciousness, if someone is feeling like, you know, they're deprived all the time, you know, it's a resentment. I feel deprived all the time. Um, and you, know, you, you work it through like any other resentment. So I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm just going to throw this out as some possibilities for the four, you know, that last column, like, what is my part? What is my part in this? Selfish. Um, I'm seeing, well, let's say, okay, let's, let's just take, um, that principle, let's just say somebody put a penny saved is a penny earned. You know, I feel deprived and people are telling me that and I'm supposed to, you know, adopt that, blah, blah, blah. Um, so you could go through the first, first uh, three columns of it. You do the resentment prayer, selfish. You know, hey, maybe selfish is I don't want that uh, principle to exist. Um, I, I don't want my society to believe in that. Um, I, I judge it as bad and wrong. That often, you know, there, um, that's come up for me quite a bit in, in the selfishness category is judgment, a harsh, harsh judgment, judging something as bad or wrong. Um, dishonest, you know, perhaps a dishonesty could be thinking that that, you know, that principle isn't helpful to other people. There may be people who are very helped by that principle that the way that I'm seeing it may be very limiting, um, that I'm, I'm thinking that maybe, maybe I've seen it as, as having no use whatsoever, but maybe it does have some use. Um, and also dishonesty in, you know, do I think that the existence of that principle means that I can't, that I have to save money? Because as an adult, I don't have to save money. I can do with my money what I want. Now, that doesn't mean it's necessarily the smartest thing, um, but if someone has a resentment and they need, to start, they need to start thinking of this differently, they need to start looking at, you know, I don't have to save money if I don't want to. Um, I, I don't have to let the existence of a principle dictate what I'm going to do with money. Um, self-seeking. Um, self-seeking would be um, I want to feel like I have enough. And afraid, I'm afraid I don't have enough. I'm afraid I'll never have enough. So that would be my answer to that. Thank you, Susan C. Anne-Marie M. Good morning. This is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. Leah, thank you so much for your service and Joe for your uh, qualifying. Um, do you, I, the self-seeking is the one that I always get stumped on. Can you do you have any self-seeking behaviors, or could you explain a little bit more about 
how, what your thoughts are on uh, self-seeking. Thank you. Well, yeah, self-seeking. So, I mean, so I've had resentments come up um, against family members. Um, and one of one of the resentments is, you know, so-and-so isn't paying attention to me. <laughs> like, I want her to pay attention to me. She's not paying attention to me in the way that I want. Well, self-seeking is, see, I want her to do something so that I can feel valuable. Because my underlying fear is that I'm not valuable. And it really, it's really about me. It's really about how it's, it's how I'm valuing myself. It's really not at the essence of it. It's not about what she's doing or not doing. It's how I'm seeing myself. What am I, here's the question, here's how I have used self-seeking. So here's a question you can ask yourself. What is it that I want the other person to do so that I can feel a certain way? What do I want them not to do so that I can avoid feeling a certain way? I want them to do X so I can feel valuable. I want them to do X so that I can feel satisfied. I want them to do X so that I can feel taken care of. I want them to do X so that I can feel right. I want them not to do X so that I don't have to feel afraid. I want them not to do X so that I don't have to feel left out. I want them not to do X so that I don't feel diminished. I'm putting the responsibility on somebody else to do something or not do something, basically to take care of my feelings. And when, I, when it comes to looking at our part, we start to see that it's not the other person's responsibility to take care of our feelings. That'd be my question to that. My, my, that'd be my answer to that. Thanks, Anne-Marie M., for your question. Who else has a question this morning for Joe? Star one to unmute. Hi, this is Diane. I have a question. Hi, Diane. Hold on one second. Anyone else? Hi, this Jenny is Jenny S. I have a question. I didn't catch either name there. Try again. Jenny S. Jenny S. Yes. Yes. Okay. And who else was there? Teresa N. Teresa N. And Carol G. And Carol G. Okay. Anyone else want to be in this group? Perhaps Hi, this is Joyce. I have a question. Joyce. Your last initial, your first. Uh, letter Joyce C in Colorado. C. Hi. Okay. Very good. All right. Terrific. Let's go with that. Diane, start us off. Hi. Thank you for your service. Thank you for um, being on the line this morning. My question is: After you've gone through your step four and your food and everything is is, is great, um, how do you deal with the feelings? I'm having feelings come up and I'm just crying all the time. And I don't necessarily have problems. I'm just crying, but I don't know if it's, I'm just feeling the feelings. But how do you go about uh, handling that? Well, the first step is not about feelings. It's about the process of getting our resentments, fears, and sex conduct on paper, um, you know, and, and looking at our part in things. That's what the, that's what the four-step process is about. Um, so... That's 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 your task is to do that, and I suggest doing it with a recovered sponsor. If you're having emotions, 
then, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I, you can talk about it with somebody. I, you know, per, I don't know if you perhaps go, you know, maybe you just need to let yourself feel your feelings. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have any comment. I don't have any, I don't think I have a useful comment on that. Um, okay. Because the program of recovery is not about uh, providing us a vehicle through which we can feel our feelings. Because our, it's, our feelings are not what bring us back to the food. Our resentments bring us back to the food. So that's what we have to be about. Um, and when you say feelings, are you just talking about getting teary? Is that what you're talking about, Diane? Yeah, I'm, I'm crying. I, I don't know. It's like I'm, my food is great. I've gone through my 12 steps, but I'm just, I, I just find myself crying. Um, okay, so are you doing your fourth step, Diane? I've finished all my steps. Okay, well, we never finish all the steps. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, okay, so maybe I need to do another four step. This is a way of life. We're doing the steps all the time. Not that we're doing the four step all the time, but we, we are living the program all the time. So um, if if you're in a recovered state, and see, I, I, I suspect that, yeah, I, I would, if I were working with you as your sponsor, I would really go back and look at what's, really the question for you, Diane, is what step are you on? Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Diane. Jenny S. Yes. Thank you. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Yes, we can. Okay. Um, I hear many people on the vision meetings talking about coming to the twelve steps, and this is their very first time um, with this with this process, and I find myself working with a lot of people that have been doing the 12 steps for years, maybe in another program. So for instance, they're coming from AA, they've been doing the steps for years, and how would you approach someone who, who is still eating, but they have been working the 12 steps? Yeah, that's a great question, because there are a lot of them, thank goodness, you know, double and triple winners um, out there. Um, I would say that they obviously have quite a lot of untended resentment, so they wouldn't be overeating. So there are resentments that are feeding into their overeating that they did not get at in their other recovery. It doesn't mean they don't have their other recovery. And I know this from personal experience because I'm in three 12-step programs, and I've done inventories and all three. So when it comes to... um, uh, when it comes to, if, if someone's been in AA and now they're coming into OA, they need to see their recovery experience from scratch. They need to, you know, they, what do they say? The credits, don't tran- the credits don't transfer. You've got to look at the new, fresh program that you're in as fresh. You're starting from scratch. So if the AA member thinks that they can just bring over everything they've done in AA, it does not work that way. And that's not true because I'm saying it. It just doesn't work that way. I would suggest, even if it's helpful, that they, if they've got their big book, you know, like all marked up from their AA recovery, I would even suggest that they get a new big book, and that would be their OA. That's for their OA recovery, and to see them as separate processes. That'd be my answer to that. Thank you. Thanks, Jenny. Teresa N.
Good morning. Thank you for your service. I am Teresa N. from Indianapolis, Indiana. Calling, I have um, worked steps one through six with a sponsor, and I was having frequent relapse. I would have like 15 days relapse, 30 days relapse, and I, um, my sponsor and I communicated, and I found a new sponsor. She suggested I start over, and I am working the steps with her. I have sustained 60 days, and I'm feeling much different than I've ever felt before, which is such a blessing, and I'm really giving that credit to God, but um, I think my steps have been successful with that. However, I'm on step three, leading going into step four, and I know that I've, I've worked step four twice before, and I know I wasn't thorough, um, and I'm, I don't know how to organize the, the four-step work. I feel like I get very scattered, and I can do resentments toward people, but then just organizing the whole entire thing, it's, it's really looming. Do you have any suggestions on how to approach working through it? And I know my sponsor will work with me, but I would love any piece of advice, any words of recovery with that. Thank you. Yes. Um, Teresa, there are forms out there that are extremely useful, um, That's and that's what I use. These are forms. Um, that were created by an AA member out of Canada. They've been around for years, um, and they're they're fantastic because they organize. They provide an organized way of going through this, um, and a consistent way because you're using the forms. You each re, you do each resentment the same way, each fear the same way, each sex conduct issue the same way through these forms. Um, so that that's a great way of of doing it. Um, now there are a variety of forms that are out there. They're not all exacting to the big book. So you need to get help from your recovered sponsor. Which forms are exacting to the big book? There are some forms out there that veer off the big book method. They call themselves four step inventory forms, but they are not the big book way of doing it. So I don't use those forms. I did not use those forms. I don't use those forms. And I don't have sponsees use those forms. So you've got to be discerning about which form you're going to use to make sure that it is a form that illuminates the big book method and doesn't step away from the big book method. Um, now, there's, a, there's been a recent change to the fear form, which I do not agree with. There's been an addition to it on the form. And I don't agree with that addition because I think it, it because it, it's adding a step. That's another thing too you want to look for in the forms is you want forms that bring to life the big book method without without either shortcutting the big book method or adding something that isn't there. When we add tasks that aren't there, it makes the process harder. It takes longer, it, it can become discouraging, and it, it, it increases the risk that we're going to abandon it. The fourth step is not complicated. It is a simple process. It also doesn't take long. My first fourth step, which was my biggest fourth step that I've ever done, took me two weeks. I shouldn't say it's the biggest one ever. It's the biggest one I've ever done in OA. It was, was my first one. Um, it took me two weeks. And in that two-week period, I mean, I mean, I was holding down a full-time demanding job. I was dating my girlfriend at the time. I had a chronically sick cat. I mean, I had a demanding life. I did it in two weeks. Um, so I think your question, Teresa, is great, how to organize the work, because we, first of all, you know, we're coming at this, and we don't necessarily want to do this in the first place. So making the, the, the mechanics of it be workable 
matters. So that'd be my answer to that. Thank you very much, Teresa. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Carol G. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. It's Carol G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you so much, Joe. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, I would like to ask you a question. It's about the fear inventory, page 67, last paragraph. Okay, so when I'm taking inventory myself, I can see that I set the ball rolling. I will usually go, ouch, and move on. But when I'm working with others, I find that that one line just seems to slam doors in their mind and they get stuck they walk away um that line that says but did we not ourselves set the ball rolling how do you approach this truth with others if they bark thank you mm-hmm. well there's it throughout the it's throughout the four step inventory in the big book there are instructions and then there's commentary this is commentary but didn't did not we ourselves set the ball rolling it's commentary so I would say don't get bogged down in the commentary. If the commentary is helpful, great. If it's not helpful, just follow the instructions. That would be my answer to that. Thank you, Carol G. Joyce C., your turn. Hi, this is Joyce C. in Colorado, a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you so much, Joe, for this presentation. That was uh, so thorough and helpful. Um, my question is about your comments about um, the fatality of the resentments, the destructiveness, how they'll kill us. And you, you mentioned how um, they can bring us back to the food or whatever substance our addiction is. Um, you also mentioned they can bring us back to the bondage of self. And um, I have people very close to me um, in my home and also um, very good, dear, close friends that I noted in the program that um, are are miserable and hopeless, and um, I, I wanted to know if you can talk about um, that. What you said about going back to the bondage of self, if you could just elaborate on that. Well, as an addict, my default setting is the bondage of self. I mean, if I don't do this program. I collapse back into into the bondage of self. It's not a decision that I'm making. It's just something that's going to happen. Um, and I don't have any power over that. So the choice I have is to engage the program. Um, at, at this point, it's not, well, it's, I don't want to complicate it. Um, uh, there's a couple things that I have seen work in this program. One is desperation, and two is willingness. So if someone um, how do I say this? It's not an intellectual it's not an intellectual journey. If you're desperate if you if you find yourself beside yourself because you keep going back into the food, then obviously something's not working for you. You want, you know, and, and I'm assuming that if you're an Overeaters Anonymous, you're looking for some kind of help. You keep going back into the food. You don't know what to do about it. Are you seeing or hearing others who are not going back into the food, who have a recovered life, whose mental state is much better, more productive, relationships are better? 
are you seeing someone for whom, in whom the problem has been solved? And if you're seeing someone in whom the problem has been solved, and they are recovered, and they don't keep going back into the food and the bondage of self, you might want to ask them, hey, how are you experiencing that? And then they can describe their big book journey. And then that's so out of desperation, we kind of look for some hope. And then out of willingness, we start becoming willing to follow somebody else's lead in going through this process. I don't know if does that answer your question, Joyce? No, that did. That's great. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks, Joyce. We still have a few minutes here for any additional questions. Nancy O from Ohio. Nancy O. This is Lori S. Lori S. Ben C. Ben C. Okay, that should take us to closing. Thank you, Nancy O. Go right ahead. Hi. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Grateful to be here. Question for Joe. I'm Nancy O. Recovered in Ohio. Um, This has not been my experience, and you may have touched on this in a prior question. I have found some that write out statements for the self-esteem, the ambition, the personal relation, the pride. Um, What is your thoughts on that? Thank you, and I'll pass. Um, no, I don't write out statements on that. I mean, the big book doesn't say to write out statements, so no. You know, it's it's a simple process. What was affecting me? My ambition, my fear, my my self esteem, my security, and sex relations. I think there are six. I think there are six of them. Um, what was affecting? Just it's a check mark. That's all it is. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Nancy. Lori, yes. Lori, star one to unmute. Hi, this is Lori S. Um, Thank you, everyone. I'm so glad I phoned into this meeting this morning because I couldn't make my regular meeting. Um, My question, and if this is is not related, um, please tell me and I'll I'll just pass, but... um, I was very interested in you saying you're an atheist and um, I was wondering if you had a religious background when you came to OA or not um, and if you would be willing to share just a little bit about your process to find your higher power that's uh, where I am now. And I have been in, I think this is my 14th week, um, I have been unable to find a sponsor yet, but I have somebody who got me started. Um, but I have a therapist who is also uh, familiar with 12 Steps, so she and I have been working on the spiritual piece and helping me identify my higher power because I identify as agnostic. So if you could share just some of the work you did to arrive at, at that place, I'd appreciate mm-hmm. it. And again, thanks so much. Sure, and I think um, you know, I think Lori, it might work better if you call me and I can t- I can go into some detail. Uh, okay. One with you because I really want to keep the focus on step four, but um, I don't know if you heard my comment from earlier. What what the word God means to me, um, and everybody, you know, I mean, they say in the big book. Um, do not let any prejudice you may have against these terms deter you from seeking what they mean to you. 
so when it says, you know, God consciousness, and we turn our lives, and will our lives over the care of, of God as we understood Him, and um, infinite God, you know, we we get to we get to determine um, what those what those words you know mean to us. I also will say that the number one um, most important thing. This is how I see it. The number one most important thing in recovery is to have an experience. We need to have an experience. And then we get to attach language to the experience. So um, if you want to attach the word God to your experience, you get to do that. If you want to attach some other words to, to your experience, you get to do that. Everybody gets to have their own narrative, their own story about why this happened, or you know, et, et cetera. The most important thing is to have an experience. But, um, but you are certainly welcome to call me, Lori, and, and I can go into more detail um, with you one-on-one. Thank you, Lori, for your question. And our final question this morning comes from Ben C., Ben Star One on you. Ben C. Yes. Um, I just had a quick question for Joe. I love your presentation. Uh, I was going to use the uh, inventory forms in Lori C's OA Big Book Study Guide, and I'm wondering if they're okay or if you have another source that I could use to download forms that would pass Big Book Muster. Yeah, those are the forms that I used as well, Ben, um, and, and they're just, they're great. Those are the forms that were written by Blaine, um, a member of AA in Canada. Um, the only difference is that the fear form now uh, from that set has been changed, and so it has, now it has a question at the end. Um, they added a question to the end of that fear form that I don't use because I think that it, it um it 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 makes the process more onerous than it needs to be. So the question at the end is, you know, so the fear it, and it's added to the fear form. So the fear form is, um, what do I fear? Why do I have the fear? Where was my trust and reliance? Did self reliance work? And then say the fear prayer. That's the form that I use that had that. The extra question on there now is, what would God have me be? So now we have this onus on everyone to have to answer the question, what would God have me be? You don't see to me. You don't know at step four what God would have you be. You're not there yet. And I think if you want to answer that question, God would have me be someone who would go through steps five through nine. God would have me be someone who's going to continue the process. That's it. I don't think you have to come up with the answer because the way that you're going to be is going to come through in step nine. It's not going to come in step four. So I think that that question, first of all, the big book doesn't ask us to answer that question, and it makes the process take longer and is more burdensome and increases the chance that we're going to abandon it. And those of us, I mean, a lot of us have a problem with navel-gazing. And the fourth step is not about navel-gazing. It is not about hand-wringing and twisting ourselves into knots. It's about getting it on paper as thoroughly and efficiently as we can. That'd be my answer, Ben. Yeah, I see that listed here on the form. And my only question would be, um, they talk about being able to be willing enough um, to to meet the expectations of, of your higher power. Yeah, but you're not, you're not going to do that until step nine. You don't have to do that in step four. Where, how often do they say begin, begin, commence? Every, it's a beginning. You know, you have, you're not supposed to figure it out. Know, we cannot figure this out. We're not going to figure it out, and we're certainly, even if we could figure it out, we're not going to figure it out in step four. Okay. 
You, you meet those expectations when you do your amends, and we're not in the amends process. We're just in the fact-finding and fact-facing stage at this point. Thank you, Does that answer your question, Ben? Hello? Uh, I would assume Ben's silence is a yes. It, it answered his question. Thank you, Ben, very much. Thanks to everyone who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Joe, for this thorough and important presentation this morning, stressing the clear-cut directions of Step 4 and its simplicity in the big book. Thank you so very much. And I'm going to close now from page 164, the way we always close here on A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.